talk about covenant family. Uh, Katie and I have uh, three children. We have two sons that are grown and married out of the house. Uh, one of them has five kids, so we have five grandkids. And we have a daughter who's a freshman in college, still living at home. But when our kids were little, uh, we experienced something that maybe you've experienced too. Uh, our, our parenting changed from the first kid to the second kid to the third kid. And so let me just kind of lay this out for you, see if you can identify with any of, any of these changes. Uh, first, with maternity clothes. With the first baby, you begin wearing maternity clothes as soon as your OBGYN confirms your pregnancy, because you're just so excited. Uh, second baby, you wear your regular clothes as long as possible. Okay? Third baby, your maternity clothes are your regular clothes. Going out with the first baby, uh, you call home every five minutes to make sure the baby is okay. Second baby, you remember as you're going out the door to leave a number where the sitter can reach you. Third baby, you leave instructions for the sitter to call only if she sees blood. <laughs> On swallowing coins, kid ever swallow a coin? First child, you rush the child to the ER and demand x-rays. Second child, you just carefully watch for the coin to pass. Third child, you deduct it from their allowance. No more coins till I see that one. Okay. Now, today I want to talk to you about covenant family. What are the essentials for a covenant family relationship. If we boil it all down, what does it boil down to? And Because parenting is hard. It's difficult. And so on your notes, look at this. It takes wisdom. Circle that word, wisdom. Wisdom is beyond training. It's beyond knowledge. Wisdom goes beyond being told how to parent. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It takes something supernatural. It takes something from heaven to be able to parent, to be able to have a good family. And it takes understanding to make it strong. Circle understanding. Understanding means to make the effort to apply knowledge to a specific situation. You don't just know what to do. You make the effort to actually do it, to apply it. So what are the essentials to having a good family and making it strong? First essential is this, authentic faith. Authentic faith is perhaps the very most important essential because too many people have inauthentic faith. There are a whole lot of people out there who, who don't understand that faith is more than just showing up to church once a week. A lot of people don't understand that there is a power, an ability, an anointing that comes from God. So if you're just toying with God, if, if you're just playing around the edges, if you're just dating God and haven't stepped into a covenant relationship with Him, let me tell you what you're missing. First, you're missing this incredible relationship where the Holy Spirit of God just speaks into your life in every situation. You're missing the grace and strength that comes from Jesus Christ who's present and active in your life in every situation that you face. There is more to God than religion. God wants to have a relationship with you, a dynamic, vibrant, real, authentic relationship. 
So that you as a parent, as you give instruction to your kid, as you lay out rules and guidelines for behavior, as you make decisions about what your child should do, as you're figuring out how to discipline them, how to train them up, there is an involvement, a nudging, a still small voice. There's a peace and a power, a wisdom and understanding that comes from God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Parenting is a spiritual endeavor. And it must flow out of an authentic faith. Best parenting advice I can give you is to get close to Jesus. Best marriage advice I can give you is get close to Jesus. Best advice I can give you is develop an authentic faith. Reverence for the Lord gives a man deep strength. His children have a place of refuge and security. Reverence for the Lord develops deep strength, and look who benefits. It's the children. It's the children. Best thing I have to offer my kids is my faith in Christ. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Step number one. I don't think you can go any further without you as the parent, you as the husband, you as the wife, without you having an authentic belief in Jesus Christ. And I don't just mean a belief in God. Lots of people say, oh, I believe in God. Well, Romans tells us that even pagans can look at creation and know that God exists. But that doesn't get them into heaven. It just means they're without excuse. Peter tells us that even the demons believe in God and know He exists. That doesn't mean they're going to heaven. You know, Believing in God is not enough to get you in heaven. Believing in God is enough to get you judged. You're without excuse. Apostle Paul was asked, what must I do to be saved? He said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Your right standing with God is built on your faith in Jesus Christ, not just a belief in God. The faith that Christ came and lived a perfect life according to the Scriptures. The faith that Christ died on the cross, absorbed God's wrath, paid the penalty for your sin. The faith that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, destroyed death in the grave, and was proclaimed to be God's Son you believe that, not just a generic belief in God, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. You and your household. Now, what does that phrase mean? Well, it doesn't mean that your kids are saved by your faith. It just means that your kids are saved the same way you're saved. Everybody is saved by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Authentic faith is essential in covenant families. And so the question is, do you have an authentic faith? Next, another essential, intentional schedules. The best families I know, the families that Katie and I have admired over the years and tried to emulate are the families who have their schedules under control. It is crucial to a covenant family. Cornell University discovered that the average father spends seven minutes a day with his kids. Seven minutes a day, that's 49 minutes a week, that's not even an hour a week. And dad, before you start saying, oh, I do a lot better than that, I would encourage you, get out the watch and start timing yourself. Because time spent watching TV together doesn't count. Time spent standing on the sidelines watching them do something doesn't count. This is face-to-face, in-conversation time. When we live life at a busy, hectic pace, look at this. We are merely moving shadows, and all our busy rushing ends in what? 
nothing. Nothing. Nobody looks back and thinks, man, if, if only our kid had one more toy, then he would have turned out all right. If only our daughter had one more expensive dress, she'd be a better person. One more trophy, one more lesson, one more game. Nobody says on their deathbed, bring me the gold watch they gave me at retirement. Nobody says, I wish I would have worked more overtime and bought more stuff. Everybody says, bring me my loved ones, the people I love most. It's better to have only a little with peace of mind than be busy all the time. You've got to get a handle on your schedule. Third one, and this one has been huge for my family, huge. Discovering purpose. Why is discovering purpose so important? Because you can't discover your purpose apart from God. You can't discover your purpose without having an authentic faith. And when you discover your purpose, you learn how to manage your time. Because you're not going to waste your life pursuing an activity that doesn't fulfill your purpose. Too many parents have their kids pursuing activities that fulfill the parent's purpose rather than asking God, what purpose does he have for your child? We spend more time praying that God will do what we want done in our child's life instead of praying, God, what do you want done in their life? One of the most important tasks you have as a parent is helping your kids discover God's purpose for their life. Not what you want them to do, not what they want to do, not what the world wants them to do. What does God want them to do with their life? And we have a huge problem today with kids who think they have no purpose. They think their life has no meaning. They think life is all about them in the moment. They don't think they have a future, let alone an eternity. That's why kids are depressed and rebellious and angry, because they have no purpose for their life. What's the point of all this, especially the hard and painful stuff, if there's no purpose? But you give a kid an authentic faith, and you let them know that they are fearfully and wonderfully made by a God who has gifted them and called uh, a place to call on their lives, you'll have a kid on fire with a purpose for life. Apostle Paul said this about his own life. He said, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me. That's one of your crucial roles as a parent, to help your kids find God's purpose for their life. It's one of my crucial roles as a pastor, to help you find your purpose for your life. That's why this church has been purpose-driven from the start. That's why this year we're turning up the heat by launching our new growth track. Because each growth track event is designed to help you move one step closer to finding and fulfilling your purpose, God's purpose for your life. This afternoon we're doing Discovery 301. Every one of you ought to go through Discovery 301 at some point. You'll, you'll discover your personality, your spiritual gift that God has given you. You'll discover your passion, your purpose, your place of service. And parents, you need to set an example for your kids in doing this. You need to go through it, discover yours, live it out, encourage your teens to go through growth track, maybe go through it with them, and discover what God wants them to do. You, know, you give us four Sundays, four Sundays from 1.30 to 2.45, and we'll take you through growth track 101, 201, 301, 401, and we'll help you discover God's purpose and find a place of service so you can live for something bigger than yourself. You can have meaning and purpose in your life. And today, you, don't have, you, know, you, can, just, you can start today. You don't have to take them in order. You can just show up. But you were made for God's purpose, and so were your kids. You talk about disunity and division and tension and arguments in the home. When you and your kids find God's purpose for your lives, 
guess what? There is tremendous unity in your relationships. Unity in your home. One of my life verses, 1 Corinthians 1.10, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Ryland and I wrote a song together a few years ago called Sons and Daughters, and, and we, that, that verse is, is part of the chorus. He's going to sing it for you later. Next essential, right relationships. Right relationships. 26 years ago this month, I, I, I started as a pastor. So for over a quarter of a century, I know I don't look like it, but over a quarter of a century ago, uh, you know, and, and over that time, I have made this observation. I don't care if you're a kid, a teen, a parent, or a grandparent. You are the sum total of your relationships. You show me your relationships, I'll show you your future. I'll show you your character. People ask me all the time, what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? You know, the where and the what are not your most important questions. The most important question in your life is who. Who am I going to become? Who am I going to do life with? Who am I going to do life for? The who's are what's important, not the what. Jesus died for who, not what and where. And so right relationships are the key to your life. They're the key to your kid's life. Proverbs says, a mirror reflects a man's face, but what he is really like is shown by the kind of friends he chooses. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools goes to jail. No. Suffers harm. And this is where Katie and I, as parents, we, we were very strict in this. We started out strict when our kids were little. We got stricter as our kids got older. We knew who our kids' friends were and who their parents were. And we made sure that we shared the same value with the parents and the families of their friends. And, and we communicated with the parents a, about the kids. Now, Dad, I'm going to ride my bike over to Mike's house, and then we're going to go over to Josh's house. Oh, really? Well, let me call Mike's dad and, and Josh's dad and make sure it's okay. Because, parents, you know how it is. Things often don't go down the way they're presented. Okay? You know, sometimes it, you find out your kid winds up, yeah, everybody winds up over at Josh's house because Josh's parents are gone, and the fireworks stand is right across the street. So you've got to communicate and check it out. Pastor, didn't you trust your kids? No. No. Were they untrustworthy? No, they were just kids. They're kids. They need a parent. It's not my job to trust my kids. It's my job as a parent to help them grow to become trustworthy. Trust is earned and developed over time. It's not automatically given. You don't just trust a kid. You parent a kid. If you trust your kids when they're kids, they'll be untrustworthy when they're adults. But you teach them to be trustworthy when they're kids, they'll be trustworthy as an adult. Then you can let them go. And one of the ways to do that is by helping them find friends with godly standards. Help them find adult role models who are wise. Encourage them to listen to their teachers, coaches, bus drivers, youth pastors, principals, the adults who are speaking into their life. Teachers, principals, coaches, bus drivers, pastors, policemen are not your kids' enemies. And they're not your enemies as parents. They're your allies. They are your eyes and ears when you're not around. Use them to your advantage. And if someone in authority tells you that your kid is doing something wrong, don't attack the authority and defend your kid. No, attack your kid's wrong behavior. 
and help them to learn to do the right thing. Help them to establish right relationships. It's essential. Next, amazing grace. God doesn't just give you grace. He gives you amazing grace. Because God takes not only the stuff I did, but the stuff I continue to do, and He forgives me for it. That's amazing. And God expects you to do the same thing to other people. There is not a relationship alive that can exist without grace. Because every person in every relationship is imperfect. And I just need to recognize that and extend grace to other people. You know, I, I need to recognize my kids are going to mess up. I, I can't hold them to a standard of perfection. They're going to mess up. They won't measure up any more than I measure up to God's standard of perfection. I need God's grace. My kids need my grace. Father was trying to find his teenage son, couldn't locate him, and went into his room, and he found this letter laying on, on the desk in the son's room. It says, Dad, it is with great sorrow and regret that I am writing you. I had to elope with my new girlfriend because I wanted to avoid a scene with you and Mom. I've been finding real passion with Stacy, but I knew you would not approve of her because of her piercings, tattoos, tight clothes, and because she is so much older than I am. But it's not only the passion, Dad. She's pregnant. Stacy says that we will be very happy. She has her own trailer in the woods, and she has enough firewood cut to see us through the winter. We are sharing the dream of having more children. Stacy has opened my eyes to the benefits of marijuana, and we will be growing it ourselves and trading it with other people in the commune for all the cocaine and ecstasy that we want. In the meantime, we're praying that medical science will find a cure for Stacy's STDs. So don't worry, Dad. I know I'm only 15 years old, but I know how to take care of myself. Someday, I'm sure, we'll be back to visit so you can get to know your grandkids. Love, your son, John. P.S., None of the above is true. I just wanted to remind you that there are worse things than my report card that's in my desk drawer. <laughs> that was fun. That was fun. Grace. Grace. We all need it. You know, and somebody right now is thinking, you're thinking about bailing. You're thinking about bailing on your kids, bailing on your marriage, bailing on your parents. You think the situation has become so unbearable. Jesus said, if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And you may say, Pastor, you don't know what I've had to put up with. You don't know how hard it is to live with this child or this parent, this husband, this wife. I am in an extremely difficult situation. Let me give you God's solution. God's answer. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. God's solution is grace. Ecclesiastes says there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And that all makes sense to us. We get all that. But then it says, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. What does it mean, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones? It's an Old Testament concept that, that maybe you need to apply to your heart and life today. 
It flows out of a story in Genesis where Jacob had a quarrel with his father-in-law, Laban. And in this story, Laban has not been a very nice man. He's wronged Jacob by making him work for unfair wages. He cheated Jacob and deceived him about marrying Laban's daughter. Uh, Jacob did the best he could to please and honor Laban. Uh, He even agreed he'd take the weak and sick uh, lambs into his flock and let Laban have the healthy ones. But then God blessed Jacob so that his flock grew and Laban's didn't. So Laban became jealous and even more angry. And finally, Jacob just couldn't take it anymore, and he decided to bail. He's going to run away secretly, take Laban's daughters, take his flocks, take his servants, take as much wealth as he could, and he just took off. And when Laban discovers that Jacob is gone, he is furious, furious, and he starts chasing after Jacob with his posse. And the night before Laban catches up with Jacob, the angel of the Lord speaks to Laban and says, Do not do what you have planned to do. And it's just my prayer that this word from God would sink into your heart. Maybe you're a young person who says, I can't take these parents anymore. A husband or a wife who says, I can't take this marriage anymore. Do not do what you have planned to do. Instead, reconcile. Jacob's bracing for the attack. Laban shows up and he says these words. Come now. Let's make a covenant. You and I. And let it serve as a witness between us. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. He said to his relatives, gather some stones. And so they took stones and piled them in a heap. And they ate there by the heap. You see, the thing with stones is, is you can either throw stones and hurt people or you can pile them up as an altar before the Lord. And so with every stone they stacked up, it's like, you did this to me, clunk, and I forgive you. And I did this to you, clunk, and you're forgiving me. And they piled up a heap of stones because they had a heap of offenses. And they had a heap of... Of forgiveness. Many of you are faced with a choice in your family. You can scatter offenses like people throwing stones, or you can stack those offenses up and make an altar before the Lord. And I encourage you to extend the grace to others that you need God to extend to you. How do I extend grace as a parent, as a spouse, as a, as a member of a family? Three things. Number one, acknowledge my own mistakes. Because everybody's made them. Everybody plays a part in the offense. Oh, not me. I didn't do anything wrong. It's all them. God says we're all to blame. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus said, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? falling short, plank in the eye. We all got them. To have a covenant family, I must acknowledge my falling short, my plank. And number two, abandon my right to get even. I want somebody to tell me I was right. I want somebody to tell them they were wrong. I want to even the score. Christians don't seek revenge. 
Christians forgive. And I think we can forget that that's the way Jesus treats us. And so with nails in our hands and blood on our face, we just got to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. And I know it's radical, but it's in the Bible. And the other way isn't working anyway. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. You just back up and let God handle it. Third thing, apply God's grace to my relationships. We will never have to forgive anyone else more than God has already forgiven us. And so we just need to, we need to receive God's grace and we need to apply God's grace to our relationships. Now you can't give grace if you haven't received it. And so maybe you, today you need to surrender your life to God's grace. And apply it to your life so you can extend God's grace to your relationships. Let's pray together. I would invite you right now in in this moment just to acknowledge your part. Just say, God, I admit it. I have fallen short. I admit it. I got planks in my eye. I can't even see. God, please come into my life. Forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. Bind up my wounds. Give me that new life. I place my faith in Christ. I believe he's your son. I believe he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for my sin and he rose from the dead to prove he was who he said he was. God, I believe that. God, I need you to move into my life. Help me to give up my right to get even. Help me to, to, to understand your grace, your mercy, to let that flow into my life so I can show grace and mercy to the people in my life. God, draw us together as a family. Don't let our house be divided, because if it's divided, it cannot stand. God, unite us in thought, mind, and purpose. Help us to pursue the life you have for us, for our family. Help us to pursue it with a passion. God, today we come not to throw stones, but to gather stones and to build them into an altar, an offering of forgiveness. Thank you for the hope we have in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.